Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray for understanding of this word. Our Father, we do ask that you'd help us to hear from you. We know that our hearts can be hard like concrete. And we pray that you would use your word today to break through the hard places in us. And we pray that ultimately we would be enraptured by the vision of your kingdom that surprises us in the way that it comes. Especially that it comes in a Savior, Jesus, who lays down his life for us so that we might be swept up in his resurrection and brought into a new heavens and a new earth that we eagerly long for. We pray that you'd strengthen us to know him, love him, and enjoy him, and share him as we hear from you this day. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Are we still able to listen? Are we still able to listen to people around us. Modern technology continues to lower the barrier for speaking publicly, widely, virally, which can sometimes be positive, so often it's not, but it is easier and easier to speak. Weirdly, though, at the same time that it's easier to broadcast a message, our sociologists and our educators will say almost universally that it seems like our ability to listen and to hear and to understand other people 
is actually in retreat. It's in decline. Why is that? In our passage this morning, Jesus tells us that our capacity to experience the kingdom of God, who we were created to be and what we were created to do and to enjoy, is grounded in our ability to hear, to listen. And so we need this word from God today. Chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel collects together several of Jesus' parables. A parable is just a short story from everyday life that tells us something about the God, God, the world, and us. But we could call this a master parable that in many ways unlocks all of the others. In Mark chapter 4, the parallel account uh, of this section, Jesus suggests to his confused disciples that if they don't understand this parable, they won't understand any of the parables. And the reason we have that second section that we read, Jesus explaining the parable, is because they just didn't get it at first. So helpfully, he explained it to them. So as we listen to this parable and seek to hear something about the kingdom of God and what he's doing in the world, we're going to reflect on the different parts of the parable, the seed, the soils, and the harvest. The seed, the soils, and the harvest. Jesus explains that the seed is the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom is just the message that God has come close in the person of Jesus to make right a world that is so often wrong. And all through the Gospels, we see Jesus as a preacher. His first act of public ministry is to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because entering the kingdom demands, even as we've already done in our service today, that we recognize that we're often part of the reason the world is wrong in the first place. And that we are prepared to let God put us right as part of putting the world right even though that's uncomfortable and painful and often involves sacrifice and change. Now, most parables are explicitly connected to the kingdom, and usually they use agricultural imagery. That might seem a little bit far away for some of us if we grow up in the suburbs or we work in the city. But at the time, it was very natural because it was one of the most universally shared aspects of life, in everyday life at the time. What was surprising about Jesus' use of stories like this, though, as he talks about agriculture, his contemporaries would use stories like this, too. But Jesus did something very different when he pointed to the agricultural process. Most of his contemporaries were eagerly expecting not seed time, what he describes here. They were eagerly expecting harvest time, the end of the process. They want God to do something to resolve things now. So, for instance, if you are a religiously oriented Jew, like the Pharisees that Jesus often has conflict with, they looked forward to God calling people and just getting rid of all of the irreligious and immoral undesirables in their society. They were looking forward to God gathering the good people so they didn't have to put up with everybody else. If you are a politically oriented Jew, you look forward to God restoring a glorious kingdom to your nation, restoring your national hopes and pride and expelling the oppressors and the empires that occupied you. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, is the clearest example of this harvest expectation. In John's ministry, he picked up 
a common image of God's judgment of chopping trees. And he warned the crowd, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Now, he may have had in mind a couple different pictures there. It could be that maybe he had leaned the axe against the tree. I grew up in Maine, so I had lots of forests and actually uh, got to see my family chop down some of the tree that became lumber that became our house. So you take your tools and you set them up. And John might envision that, okay, God's got the axe of judgment ready for the day's work. Or he could be thinking that the forester has lined up the axe and is ready to draw that back like a golf swing and bring it down to lop the tree down. Whatever the picture is, for John, the harvest day of God's judgment is here, and he's excited about that. The call is about to begin. So later in his life, when he's in prison, and he knows that Jesus is walking around and teaching and preaching, he sends a question to Jesus and says, are you the one, or should we look for another? Because he's sitting there in prison thinking, okay, I was expecting for you to come set everything right. But I'm still in prison. I'm still suffering injustice. I'm still being oppressed by people who are in power who shouldn't be in power. You can get me out of here anytime, Jesus. I'm ready. It's harvest time. Let's start using the axe. But by telling a sowing parable, Jesus actually says jarringly for his listeners at the time, And jarringly for us, when we're just wanting God to fix things now, it's not harvest time yet. It's not harvest time. It's sowing time. Jesus actually highlights two radical differences between his kingdom and earthly kingdoms with this imagery. Jesus' kingdom works on a radically different timeline and out of a radically different power. Think about the timeline of a seed. That Jesus uses to describe his kingdom. Seeds are really slow. You can't rush a seed. You can't speed it along. You might try the miracle grow. You might try all those things. But a seed is going to grow when a seed is going to grow. For a while, there might not be any visible shoots, though below the surface, roots are forming that will be indispensable to later growth and flourishing. In the same way, Jesus' kingdom is radically different from earthly kingdoms. The power of a seed. Seeds don't seem impressive. They don't seem powerful. They are not threatening. If you ate a piece of fruit for breakfast, you probably threw some away without even caring about it. If you step on an acorn on the sidewalk in the fall, you know, it hurts less than a Lego brick, right? If you're planting seeds, if you're a gardener and you're planting seeds in your garden— You don't go out and go, Bob's away, right? That's not what seeds are. But if a seed meets the right conditions, soil and water and sunlight and time, an acorn can grow into an oak tree that you and several of your friends just in your own strength could not move. An oak tree that would outlive you. It doesn't seem impressive, but a seed contains within itself enormous potential. A few years ago, uh, Rebecca and I visited Nova Davici Cemetery in Moscow, which is where many famous Russians are buried. And it was quite striking because while American cemeteries are like mowed lawns, Nova Davici is like a walled garden. 
So walking through the cemetery, it's quite common to see trees that can be 100, 150 years old that have cracked through stone uh, mausoleums, slabs of granite, something so small that you could crush it, but given the right conditions, it has the power to shatter stone. That is why many of us, I think, are discontented or disappointed with our lives. Sometimes even as a follower of Jesus, especially as a follower of Jesus, we resent the timeline and the power of Jesus' kingdom. Because it can be very, very slow sometimes. And I've got things to accomplish. I have got goals. I've got an agenda, right? I need to get guaranteed results. I want the five easy steps to get the girl or the guy of my dreams, to get that job, that house, the career, the wonderful home in Collingswood, right? We want an ax to chop away everything that stands between us and our desires, whether those are frustrating circumstances, inconvenient people, or our own struggles with our personal sin and character flaws that hold us back from what we want to be. We want God to wield the axe so we can get on with the rest of our lives. But instead, Jesus says, I want to plant some seeds. Why? Well, an axe is a quick fix, but it can never make anything live, right? It can only end life. But the power of the seed is the power of life and new life, even though it takes time to work in our lives. So then we have the soils, because we see Jesus speaking, but not everybody likes Jesus. Not everybody likes his message. This is not something new. It's not like historical criticism broke onto the academic scene in the 19th century, and all of a sudden it was hard to believe in Jesus. It's not new. It's not a 20th century thing. It's not a 21st century thing. You see it in Jesus' own day. Chapter 13 actually starts with that phrase, the same day, and links this parable with increasing conflict that Jesus is having in his life with so many different people. He has fights with the religious leaders of his time. It actually ends right before this with Jesus' own family, his mother and his brothers, coming to seek for him. And it's not a good reason that they're seeking for him. Again, in the Gospel of Mark, we learn that Jesus' family either feared or believed the report that Jesus was out of his mind. They thought it was quite possible that he was insane. And after these parables, we see Jesus go back to his hometown where he is rejected. No interest in who he is, those who knew him best. Why does the same message generate such diverse responses and often negative responses? Jesus explains that the difference is not something that is a fault with the message or the messenger, but it points to the soils that hear it and receive it. So he uses four different types of soil as illustrations of four different types of reaction to him and his message. And I won't give illustrations of each individual one because Jesus himself explains them pretty straightforwardly. But each soil points to a heart condition, a hard heart, a shallow heart, a divided heart, or a fruitful heart. And we see these illustrated by the people around Jesus. So Ironically, the religious leaders of the day are the people that have the hard heart, and they hear Jesus, and it bounces off of them, and they don't want anything to do with it. You see that Jesus' own disciples often are like the rocky ground. Things are great when they're going great, but not so great when they're, not, when they're going badly. Jesus is arrested, so they fear for their lives if they're associated with him, and what do they do? They 
scatter. We see the divided heart in Jesus' family that I just mentioned. Right? We have these stories of, of Mary hearing the message from an angel of who Jesus is going to be, and she responds with amazing humility and faith, truly astonishing in a young woman of her age. In the intervening years, she seems to have lost a, any clear sense of what God is up to in Jesus' life. Whether they believe it or not, the reports suggesting Jesus is demon-possessed or mentally ill have the family scrambling to do damage con control because they're more concerned probably about their standing in the community than what God seems to be up to in Jesus. Now, we can read these parables, and a lot of us do what we do when we listen to sermons, right? I am so glad that he or she is in the room to listen to this today, right? Or this really reminds me of this person that I know. But while it may be easy to see others in this parable, what's potentially devastating is to recognize ourselves in each of these soils. I can see myself as a hard-hearted pathway. How often do I read a portion of God's word and I see what it calls me to, which is either good for others or even just good for me, and I just go back into my well-worn habits? Because it's hard to change. I can see my shallow heart in the rocky ground. You know, I'm a pastor. It's my job. And yet, ironically, I'm adept at avoiding social friction by muting my allegiance to Jesus in vague and socially acceptable categories. Or like everyday vexations, whether those are unplanned interruptions, frustrated plans, disrespectful children, the momentarily unappreciative spouse, leaves me cranky and vexed because my heart expects God to send his messenger before me to prepare the way for King Matt and to make my path straight and inconvenience free. Because the kingdom I'm usually most interested in is my own. And that's common to the human condition. The source of so much of our interpersonal conflict and the deep dissatisfaction that we feel with ourselves and our relationships and our world. Left to ourselves, we are all barren and unfruitful fields. But the purpose of the parable is not to leave us discouraged. In the very warning about fruitlessness it invites us to strive for something better. The exhortation in verse 9 is, he who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus distinguishes the good soil in verse 23 by how we hear. What was sown on good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. Now, here's the thing. Does soil have the ability to change itself? Some of you might be tempted to, to do gardening this way, right? Let me just watch my yard and see what happens, right? Go, soil, go. Doesn't usually produce very much, right? Unless it's weeds. Uh, soil doesn't normally change itself, though farmers and gardeners would love self-fertilizing fields or self-weeding flower beds. Wouldn't that be fantastic? But the good news of the kingdom is that God does transform barren soil. So shallow-hearted disciples become stalwart followers after the resurrection of Jesus and even walk into the face of death for him. Jesus' mother and brothers are later found among these disciples. God demonstrates time and again his ability to change hard, shallow, divided hearts. In fact, the climax of this parable, the heart of it, is not so much how many people don't hear, 
The climax of the parables is actually the soils, but section three here, the harvest. At that time and place, if you had a bumper crop, maybe you'd get six times the yield of what you put in. Once in a while, in an especially good year, you might get a tenfold return in a crop, right? And this is offset by years that are like you lose everything. But the sower's harvest yields 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold growth. Those are returns on investment of 3,000 to 10,000%. If your financial advisor had anything that gave you 3,000 to 10,000% returns, you would have everything you had invested in that. The abundant harvest more than compensates for any loss or waste from the bad soil. Jesus will not fail to gather an incredible harvest. This is hard for some of us to hear sometimes because I think we struggle to see or recognize what God thinks is fruitful in your life. We easily get captivated by simplistic visions of fruitfulness. And then when we don't see one particular type of growth, we despair over ourselves or over our church or over the state of the kingdom. Think about it like this. We just moved back to Philly area uh, two years ago. Before that, we lived for 10 years in our old house in western Pennsylvania. And when we moved in, we have this magnolia tree in the front of that house. And my wife, who grew up just outside Atlanta, Georgia, loved magnolia trees. She was so excited to have this in our front yard. So excited for the beautiful blossoms and flowers of spring. But here's the catch. You might know that the climate of western Pennsylvania is a little bit different than the climate of Georgia. And so every spring, for 10 years, the blossoms would be just about ready to open. And then we get that one last nighttime frost. And all of those pink-white blossoms would freeze, die, turn brown, and fall to the ground. Every single spring. When we think of a productive, beautiful, fruitful life, often we look at ourselves and we feel like that magnolia tree. I get so close to blooming and then another frost sets in. And it feels like just more brown dead leaves on the ground. But here's the thing about our magnolia tree. We never got to see the flowers, but it was a beautiful shade tree. It kept our front porch cool to sit, to read, to work, to have family together and have dinner together in the summer. It was a fantastic climbing tree. So if you came over sometimes, yeah, you'd see kids from our school or from our church or from a neighborhood climbing four or five kids up in the branches. So our magnolia tree never bloomed, but it brought beauty and comfort and joy to our lives in many other ways. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the fruitfulness described in this parable should be an encouragement to you that if the word of God takes root in your life, if the person of Jesus takes root in your life, God says that he will make you abundantly, supernaturally fruitful. And when you feel like a frost-blighted magnolia, it could be that God is making you fruitful in ways 
that you simply don't realize. We might want to see in ourselves or for others to see the bright, the beautiful flowers of spring, right? Gifts, talents that everybody recognizes and appreciates. But it could be that even if you don't feel like that's happening, your life may be giving shade and shelter and joy to people around you in ways that you don't even realize. Part of that's because of what God considers fruitful. So he writes to a group of Christians in the uh, region of Galatia that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He exhorts another group of Christians in the city of Philippi Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves, each looking not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. A fruitful life can be expressed in many different ways, but the common threads are repentance, humility, service, gentleness, love for others all of which flows from the common root of Jesus himself. So Jesus says, listen, hear. Because the kingdom takes root and grows and transforms us. So if you're discouraged with yourself, receive his word. Let it sink into you, the word about Jesus. Because the way that we grow is the degree to which we hear about the sower. At the beginning of the parable, Jesus kind of skips over who this is. Later in chapter 13, a passage we didn't get to, Jesus says, I'm the sower. I'm the the son of man is the one who sows. And and that's the way that he speaks about himself. The word of the kingdom is first and foremost a word about the king. And the parable of the sower provides an incredible picture that sets his kingdom apart from all others. It's an entirely upside-down kingdom. It turns conventional human wisdom about power and priority on their heads because of who the king is. He doesn't come as a conqueror. He comes as a sower. He's a farmer king. He's a gardener king. And he tends us. And he is willing to spread his word widely, generously, almost wastefully, because he wants people from all over the world to hear and listen and become part of his kingdom. Not by force or coercion, but by speaking and listening and hearing and growing. That's why we, throughout the Liberty Churches, seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus. Because Jesus is the sower, and he spreads his word in the world through his people to invite others to know who he is. He is a gardener king, not a conqueror king. And the place that we see most the upside-down nature of his kingdom, the humility of his kingdom, is the fact that he's not just a sower. He himself is the seed. He himself is the seed. He says in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, about himself, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
John the Baptist and Jesus' contemporaries weren't entirely wrong. It was harvest time. But in the upside-down logic of the kingdom, it wasn't purging the bad guys so the good guys could enjoy the world. Instead, Jesus experienced the harvest alone for all of us. The axe of God's judgment fell, but it fell on him instead of us. He accepted death in order that death might bring life. So that he might reap an abundant harvest of men and women transformed by the power of God and power of his word. So that we might be free to repent of sins because those are buried with Jesus in his death. So that we might be free to live humbly like the king who comes simply to sow. So we might be free to live lives of service to others out of gratitude for Jesus' own sacrificial life and ministry and death. Jesus is sowing the gospel. So be prepared because sometimes it's going to be hard. Because his timeline is different than ours. And it might frustrate you the way that he works. You may often long to see greater results in yourself. But let the good news of Jesus be planted deep within you. For the more that his death penetrates into your life, the more you will experience the abundantly fruitful life that God has prepared you for. This is the good news in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.